at least one of our church members uh, still had one of these uh, in their house. Anybody have one? Oh, a number of you have one. I'm so surprised by that. I really am. So for those of you who don't know what this is, does anybody honestly not know what this is? <laughs> okay. Um, this is how we used to communicate back in the day. I grew up in uh, the 1980s, and um, normally uh, how we would get a hold of each other is you would pick this thing up and you would like talk in here after you, you dial the numbers. Now, where I grew up, you only had to dial uh, seven numbers. Is that true for you around here before you had to dial the area code? Okay. Um, I only had to dial seven numbers, but it, this is a dial phone, and depending on the number, like it, if you had a nine in your phone, people didn't like you because it took so long for the thing to get back around. It was such a pain to, to do this. And we, you know, now we have these devices, and, and we could just pull them out of our pocket, and we don't have to remember numbers. We just press on a name. We're scrolling down. This can tell us how to get somewhere. This can order our pizza and have it delivered to us without ever talking to anyone, right? This can tell us the weather, and we can get email and take videos and pictures and send them all around the world with this thing. And we used to have this. I still, as an adult, believe that my self-esteem is low because I had two nines in my phone number, and none of my friends ever wanted to call me. We used to have this. With all of the difficulty, I'm going to tell you, I will still take this. I still will. And what I want you to see in this today is not to be inspired that somebody had a phone or that we can laugh about the way that we used to communicate. We used to have something. And it is not anything compared to what we have now. The very first word that we see as we get to, to verse 11 is therefore. And that therefore is... is uh, best way I can describe it for you is it's a word of contrast. It's a word of showing <laughs> this is all of the stuff before then is because uh, everything that Paul has described in, in 1 through 10 sets us up for, for what is so amazing in, in 11 through 22. A lot of people know Ephesians chapter 2. Oh man, isn't Ephesians 2 an amazing chapter? Verses 1 through 10 are amazing. I really hope that by the time we're done today, and the time that we get back to this in the beginning of the calendar year, that we will see all of chapter 2 as so rich and so amazing and so helpful to us as believers in Jesus Christ. We're going to talk today about the blood of Jesus and how it unifies. And I want us to, to think uh, and to see the contrast of what we had versus what we have. Some of it happened in verses 1 through 10. More of it we'll see today in 11 through 13. All right, this starts off very easy. I'm just going to show you uh, from the verses uh, to uh, verse 11. Uh, we see that uh, in verse 11, at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, at one time. So we are, they were once separated. We're going to start with the separation of the Gentiles. And if you don't know what that word means, hang tight. I'm going to explain it. Paul addressed Gentiles. That's who he's writing to. So he addresses them in this letter. The letter is to the Ephesians. The Ephesians were city dwellers. They were highly educated. They were more upper, uh, upper uh, middle class. 
or higher class, the people uh, who came from Palestine to reach them with the gospel would have been of a different lifestyle, different income levels, education levels, all that kind of stuff. And so Paul is addressing the Gentiles, he's addressing the Ephesians, and he's trying to bridge some of that gap to help them understand what God is doing in them and through them and reminding them what they have in Jesus. And so in talking to the Gentiles and trying to understand what the word Gentile is, I found this quote. To grasp what it is to be Gentile, you need to grasp what it is to be Jewish. What makes the Jewish people stand out in Scripture? Well, in Genesis 12, uh, 1 through 3, these are not unfamiliar verses. If you've been a part of the life of our church, we've done quite a bit with these in the last year, year and a half. But look right there in the middle. I will make you of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. This is what God says to Abram. Before this, we know of no relationship that God had with Abram. He begins with a personal conversation and says, I'm going to bless you and turn you into a nation. And this is one of the main promises that God gives to Abram, uh, the nationhood, not just for his people, uh, eventually for all peoples. We're going to get to that. And then here's another example, uh, Joshua 1, uh, 5. Uh, Look at where it's bolded there. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. God had come to Abram, a special set of promises for him to become a nation. And that nation paired with land. All right, so this is uh, at the foundation, the very basic foundation of what it meant for the Jews to be Jews. They were by race, tied to Abram and those promises. And they were chosen spiritually to have and fulfill God's purposes and to inherit the land. And so when Paul in Ephesians writes to the Gentiles, I want you to understand the word that he uses. It's actually, if you look it up in the, in the Greek, the word is ethne. There's a separate word in the Hebrew that would have been used. And what that word basically means is nation. Gentiles means nations. Now, the same word in the Old Testament is actually used for Israel as a nation. But the comparison term, or I should say the contrasting term, is nations. Those who are basically not Israel. That's what it is to be a Gentile. So if Israel, to be a Jew, is to be tied to the promises through Abram and to have the hope and the expectation of the land then to be in the category of a Gentile is to not be Jewish. And everybody else who's not tied to Abram by race was, was considered a Gentile. Now, that's how we basically understand that term. Gentile, everybody who's not a Jew. They were put in a category. In verse 11, we see a category, not just a category of not being Jewish. Gentiles is the uh, official name for that. But look at how they're described. They're called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Okay, so if you're portraying this or looking at this in your mind, it's the circumcision (laughs) is calling the uncircumcision as it is. What does that mean? (laughs) I want you to help you. We're still in the category of, of Gentiles and Jews. The distinguishing mark for the covenant of Abram, the covenant.
covenant was circumcision for the males to be circumcised. It was a work that human hands did in order to show that they were a part of those promises to Abram. And so those Jews who were circumcised called the Gentiles uncircumcised. In that sense, it's not a helpful category. All it does is focus on what's happened by human beings. It's like somebody in modern day saying, I'm a Christian because I got baptized. Baptism is a work of human hands where we take you and we put you in water and <laughs> there's this uh, thing and that it's a sign of the belief. It's the same way with circumcision. And so in this sense, the way that this is communicated about those outside of, of the Jewish faith is not a helpful category because if Jews are calling Gentiles uncircumcised just because they're uncircumcised, all they're talking about is things that are done with human hands of an act, a physical sign. And it's limited in that sense. Verse 12. This will kind of sum everything up for us as we, as we see who Paul is addressing in this part of the letter. Uh, they were outside the covenant. This is who Gentiles were. They were uh, outside the covenant, separated. And here you kind of get this whole litany uh, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. No expectation of a savior. No covering of the protection that God had promised to Israel way back in Genesis 12. Complete strangers to that type of covenant that God made with people. And, and really, as you get to the end of verse 12, it illustrates it, no hope and without God. The Gentiles were spoken of, and Paul is reminding them that they were without God. They were once separated, verse 11, one time. That's who you were. You were separated. But now, verse 13, you're brought near. Now, you don't see the word power or powerful in, in verse 13. I want to tell you why I've put here this is a powerful force. When something in a relationship changes, it's often noted as very significant. It can stir us to tears in a, in a movie. If a, something happens and there's a a healing or a mending of a relationship or something that, a story we've come across, it, it, these sorts of things are very powerful and, and they can move us. A couple, uh, couple examples of things that, that may stir us. Uh, when she turned 21, uh, Tammy Harris <coughs> from Roanoke, Virginia, began searching for her biological mother. After a year, uh, she had not succeeded. What she didn't know was that her mother, Joyce Schultz, had been trying to locate her for 20 years. According to an Associated Press story, there was one thing Tammy didn't know. Her mother was one of her co-workers at the convenience store where she worked. One day, Joyce overheard Tammy talking with another co-worker about trying to find her mother. Soon they were comparing birth certificates. When Tammy realized the co-worker she had known was, in fact, her mother, she fell into her arms. We held on for the longest time, Tammy said, 
It was the best day of my life. I wouldn't even plan on getting a little emotional, but that is a stirring story. When I think of stirring relational stories, my mind will drift to Rwanda, a place by God's grace I got to visit back in 2008. Here's a quote from a woman who's been involved in reconciliation efforts in Rwanda over the past 25 years since the, the genocide of 1994. Here's something that she said. I came to understand that the degree that separated the two ethnic groups, there's the Hutus and the Tutsis, if you are doing your history, uh, uh, the degree that separated the two ethnic groups was much smaller than the abundance of humanity that united us. She comes to this realization in processing, in healing, being a part of reconciliation efforts that are ongoing to this day from the horrible events that happened 25 years ago. Now, these are, these are powerful things. These happen in a human sense, and they stir our souls, and they move us. Why do I say that being brought near, the Gentiles being brought near, is a powerful force? Well, uh, if you remember some of the, the things uh, by which we are, are called in our nature, we're dead in our trespasses, chapter 2, verse 1, uh, in which we walked, uh, following the course of this world. Uh, we find out that we are ob uh, children of wrath, uh, uh, Ephesians 2 and verse 3, uh, like the rest of mankind. Uh, we know that it takes a, a powerful force to raise our souls from the dead. We've covered that. I want to remind you, though, that these words in here are about a gap of time. I want you to think about a timeline. Uh, chapter 2, verse 1, you were, past tense, you were dead in trespasses and sins. But Verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, find, we find out that he made us alive in verse Five And in verse 6, he raised us up with him. Now, look at verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh. At one time in the past, the Gentiles in the flesh, uncircumcised, did not have, as a group, did not have a position before God. And it was a God-ordained group. God had ordained Israelites, and by default, he had ordained Gentiles to be outside of that covenant. It wasn't that they couldn't get into it, but by and large, they, they were not a part of those promises of Israel. So at one time, verse 11, today we see what? Verse 13, but now. I love Greek because it has different words for different things. We have like one word for now. When we say, now Johnny, don't steal the cookie, uh, we'll say now. <laughs> and we'll say, um, Johnny, get over here now. And we have one word for now. Greek has different words for now. And this word for now in verse 13 is a word that talks about time. Now in Christ Jesus. It's not a passing thought like uh, now, now, now might be in English. It's a word that shows us time is involved. It's powerful for people who are outside of a group setting to be welcomed in to that setting. Coming to Jesus Christ is an individual decision, but the Christian faith is that we are saved into 
community living. Hang on to that. Hang on to that. This is a call for us as believers in Christ Jesus, once we're far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. It is a challenge for us to think about what unites us, what has given us this position, what has given us this place. We see today that Jesus' blood is the only way. So when you look at verse 13 and you see, but now, and you might uh, make a note of that and go back and look at that word in the Greek and, and what it means. But it, uh, when we couch it in that time language, here we are and our position in Christ Jesus. It's not just that, hey, enough time has gone by. Y'all are a little bit better now than you used to be. No, now in Christ Jesus, completely connected to who Christ is, that's how we have a different position. That's how the distance of being away from God is closed into that Gentiles are now close to God. It's the foundations of our witness. It's not just a catchy tune. I love to sing. There's power in the blood. But it's really the foundation of who we are. It's the foundation of our identity. Have we experienced the power? Do we realize how far off it was for somebody outside of that community of Israel to be brought near. How crazy it was for someone not of Israel to think, I could be a part of God's promises. I could be a part of his family. I could be a part of his covenants. Paul, in chapters 1 and 2, is going out of his way to show how that comes together. And it's not just for those who weren't Jewish. It is for those who are Jewish as well. But I don't want us to get away from this without exposing ourselves to that power. And as I looked at 11 through 22, I thought, boy, we've got so much to do here. And I got to verse 13, and I thought, now in Christ, you're far off. You've been brought near by the blood of Christ. And I thought to myself, we're celebrating communion this Sunday. This is a great place to stop. There are all kinds of ways that people try to get into a relationship with God. There are all sorts of things that we try to do with our sin. Most of you here have probably seen the three circles illustration of the gospel. And the first circle that we talk about is brokenness. There's all kind of things we do when we're in brokenness to try to deal with brokenness. Uh, we try to get money or education or friends or we even try to do good things like go to church or do good deeds or, or look like we're spiritual. All of those things by themselves will leave us in brokenness. I want you to stare and fix your eyes and your heart as narrowly and as laser focused as you can on 13 in the beginning where it says in Christ Jesus. And at the end of the verse where it says brought near by the blood of Christ. No other way. No sacrifice we can bring. No deed we can do. No pleasure we can pursue or find. No achievement we can attain will do for us what the blood of Jesus Christ will do. There is no other way. 
I hope that that truth just washes over your soul in relief, in praise, in, in forgiveness, and the love of God. There is no other way. Now, I mentioned this as a warning uh, in some senses to us uh, because we, we look at things individually, and we should. Uh, just because you're a part of a group of Christians doesn't make you a Christian. At some point, you have to decide uh, whether you believe Jesus for yourself. You have to say, Lord, I, by faith, I trust in Christ. I trust that he died for me. I trust that he rose again. Uh, that is my decision. But uh, here's where sometimes we break down. We, we leave our faith and our development as an individualistic thing. I want to cheat and go ahead just a little bit to 14 where it says, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So whatever hostility there was between Jews and Gentiles is completely broken down. And I think a challenge for us today as we move towards celebrating communion is to think about unhelpful categories in our lives. It is so easy to put people in categories, especially right now. Oh, you think this about the election, or you think this about this law, or you think this about uh, so-and-so and their approach to the virus, and you think this about public health, and you think we can find all sorts of categories and all sorts of ways to get offended. And, and the overarching scope of what is happening here is God is bringing all of those perspectives together in his people under the blood of Christ. No news organization, no political organization, no anything can do what the blood of Christ can do. We cannot experience that unity anywhere except under the blood and under the authority of who Jesus is. It's not just so we can live it out individually, it's so we can live it out together. 